SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show number 31 with guest Craig Utley. Our guest today is Craig Utley. Craig is a mentor with Solar Quality Mentors and a former program manager on the SQL Server Customer Advisory Team at Microsoft. He's been working with Microsoft's BI products since the beta of SQL Server 7, helping to author Microsoft's first data warehousing course and teaching it at Microsoft and many other companies. Craig now spends his time helping companies implement BI solutions using Microsoft and related technologies, covering all aspects from architecture and design to implementation and training. He's also involved in the .NET space and was a C-Sharp MVP before he joined Microsoft. He's a published author, conference speaker, and member of the Ineta Speakers Bureau. His most recent book, Business Intelligence with Microsoft Office Performance Point Server 2007, started shipping last week. Welcome, Craig. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. As we do with everyone, I'll get you to first up to just describe how do you come to be involved with SQL Server and what's your background? Well, I was originally uh, in charge of an application development company, and we focused on Microsoft technology. And I, uh, of course, we did everything with SQL Server. And one of my passions uh, around all of that was SQL Server and actually all the data in a company, you know, how can they make better decisions? And so I was very interested in the data warehousing arena, and when the uh, beta of 7 came out, and they had what at the time was OLAP services. I got very involved with that and learning about it. So from there, I've been involved with the, the BI tools, and then you know, along comes SQL 2000, and after 2000 shipped, but before 2005, they came out with reporting services. And, you know, in some ways it was a shot across the bow at, uh, at at some other vendors at the time. Crystal Reports was kind of the one that everyone mentioned, but it was a, a server-based reporting tool, and it, it fit in well with doing both relational and uh, multidimensional reports. Uh, it had tools that were very good at that, so I thought, you know, you know, this is going to be something very popular. And of course, the price was right. If you already had a SQL license. It didn't cost you anything else. So I, I became involved with it, and I've used it now at uh, a, a number of clients and in a variety of manners, both uh, against relational and uh, cube data, and uh, I find it to be a, a very, very good tool. And uh, so that's kind of how I got involved and what I've been doing with it a little bit. That's great. And you said previously you spent uh, some time at Microsoft on the CAT team? Yes, I was on the SQL Cat team. I understand you had uh, Rich TK recently on another Indeed. one of your podcasts, and uh, uh, in a unofficial kind of sense, Rich took the the job that I had there. I was the first uh, hire on the the customer advisory team focused strictly on business intelligence. So I covered integration services, analysis services, and reporting services. 
Um, most of that time was in analysis services, but I did uh, have a very large customer uh, in in uh, the southern hemisphere of the world. We'll leave it at that. And they did a lot of analysis services and reporting services. Uh, so I focused on BI uh, with the uh, customer advisory team and got to deal with some extremely large warehouses around the world. And it was a, a very good learning opportunity. Um, I, I Before I took the job, they told me I would learn things that I uh, would, would could never imagine before because there were things that you just didn't see until people were throwing 20 terabytes of data at the product. And sure enough, it was a very good learning experience. Yeah. So your overall, if, if you had a scorecard, let's say, on reporting services, and if we had to give it a, a 1 to 10, where do you think it's sitting? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, um, well, I think overall I would give it an 8. Uh, there's mm-hmm. certainly room for improvement, but I think it is an incredibly strong offering. And, in fact, I had a number of people uh, at customer sites when it first came out telling me they could not believe it was the first version of a product from Microsoft. It, it was yeah. incredibly mature and uh, robust. Yeah, I must admit, I, when it came out, I, I was a bit torn with uh, loving it and uh, disliking some of the design decisions. The, uh, if, 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 I, if I look at it, I, I thought it was incredibly productive, and uh, just the, the rate of adoption is... Uh, testimony to that it, it's uh, certainly very cool i think one of the things that um i get a little annoyed with though is that i, I kind of like to see some purity in the apis and the design and part of part of me really sort of cringed a bit at some of the api design in there um for example text boxes the fact that they now had a value property uh, rather than a text property um, just little things like that, but I thought one of the key things that the .NET framework brought was that it tidied all that sort of stuff up, and I sort of felt like reporting services took us back down a different path in that regard, uh, and I just sort of wondered why they did some of that. Uh, in fact, uh, I pinged some of the product guys, and I said, look, why have we got a text box with a, a value property and not a text property? And they said, well, we might not want to store text in it. And I said, ah, oh, it's a text box. <laughs> <laughs> the, the name would seem to imply, yes. And so that, that sort of thing I struggled with. They, they were saying, oh, well, maybe we want to store a number in it and use it in a calculation. And so it really was kind of more like a variant box of some type. But even then, I, I think probably one of the, if I had to look at areas that I – um, probably I'm not that keen on. It, it's really probably some of the typing and lack of strong typing in some of those areas. Uh, I find the same in parameters, for example. If I, I, one of the questions I came up with is I said, why isn't there an exact numeric data type for the parameters? Uh, if, if I look at, I would have thought the main thing the product would be used for is uh, financial things and reports. And yet I wondered why there wasn't a, a decimal data type for the parameters. There's only a float. And I again pinged the product guys and I said, what's the deal here? And they said, well, it doesn't really matter because we ignore the type to a large degree and take whatever comes from the underlying provider. And I said, oh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know about that. So it, it's more those sort of things that I, I had issues with. But if I look at the productivity and uh, what I can achieve with the product, it, it's outstanding. 
Well, I think I can't address why some of those decisions were initially made, but I think if you look at it, the first version that came out didn't have any kind of ad hoc capabilities, and so you know, from a productivity standpoint, if the person has Visual Studio, uh, they're great at designing reports, but they were the only people who could do it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, from that standpoint, hey, they made a great improvement now with uh, Report Builder and the ability to do ad hoc. From a programmability standpoint, that's probably why I don't give it a 10, is, is for some of the reasons you mentioned. Yeah. Now, not a lot of customers are getting deep into that area, and so the SDK doesn't mean anything to them. They just use the built-in functionality. Yeah. But you're right, there are some inconsistencies for those people who are very familiar with the .NET framework. Okay, I'm always used to textbox.txt, now suddenly it's .value. Well, why is that? You could argue and say, well, because the end users, it, it looks like it's read-only, it's with like a label to them. You know, well, no matter what you say, it's not going to make everybody happy. And so, uh, uh, I would And in fact, even in the .NET framework, labels now have a text property. Well, that's true. That's yeah, where well, they used to have a uh, caption property. Yeah. So. Well, but you know, I I don't know that um, I, I don't know what 2008 holds in store in that specific area. I kind of doubt it will change because obviously yeah. those would be breaking changes. Too hard. Yeah. Too hard to change. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, from uh, once you step outside of the kind of the SDK area, I I think that uh, you know the the product is is very strong and uh, oh yeah, I, I think it's. It's out, outrageously good, yeah, in, in terms of what you can achieve. The um, Now, in terms of, I suppose one of the questions I'd take uh, first up, that I know I have a bit of a philosophical discussion with uh, Adam Kogan, uh, local regional director periodically, and who was also on the show doing a reporting services one uh, quite a while back. What's your take on exposing the standard browser-based UI uh, to end users versus maybe wrapping it in SharePoint or rolling your own UI for the interaction with the reporting server? Well, you know, that's kind of a, a corporate direction. I just finished a large uh, project with a company that uh, worldwide people would recognize the name of the company, and uh, they do not, they're not SharePoint users. So for them, the standard interface was just fine. Um, in a lot of places where companies aren't using SharePoint, uh, I, I see them modifying the standard interface just a little bit. Oh, they'll put their logo on, they might change some colors, but basically they'll use that uh, particular interface. For companies that are SharePoint uh, or, or, or are, you know, uh, moving towards SharePoint or already have it implemented and use it quite a bit. I think that delivering reports through SharePoint uh, is is very common. It's something that, that is done. Uh, those companies like the ability to view the reports through SharePoint. It gives them a nice way to manage that, and it hides uh, some of the, um, the uh, I don't want to say idiosyncrasies, but some of the uh, the the funny things about reporting services sometimes that yeah. <laughs> people see in the interface. Um, I, th- I think I have not some of the questions that come up really are more about the degree of customization of, uh, say, for example, the parameter input. And if, if you're trying to get something a little more flexible in terms of how you ask for parameters on reports. 
Well, and in the standard interface, I have, you know, seen cases where there are so many parameters or they make them of such a certain size, especially a drop-down, where, yes, yeah, suddenly now you have two or three rows of them, you have a scrollable region on the website, it becomes very confusing. And so that's where people end up trying to do some customization, uh, either building their own front end completely or somehow modifying what it is the users see uh, in order to work with that. That's That, to me, is kind of another one of the challenges. I would like to customize more often how the parameters are presented to users. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's so why I've tended to... Uh, I think two things. Well, I've tended to build it into my own applications, again, for two reasons. One is to get that sort of customization that I want to do with the parameters. The second part is I wanted to make it feel like part of the same application rather than pushing them off to a separate website just for the reports. Well, and I actually see that uh, a lot, and you're right. There is a very definite... Uh, difference in the look and feel from that versus pretty much anything else, especially if they're used to a SharePoint, but even, you know, even just any other web application. And so embedding those reports is great. You know, if you don't have any parameters, it's easy. There's not much you have to do at that point. But um, I do, I have worked with customers before who've built their own uh, relatively simple uh, ASPX screens that accept all the parameters, pass that in, it renders the report, and the user never sees any of the reporting services pieces except the rendered yeah. report when it's done. Yeah, that's very commonly what I've done. And I think the, the other reason that I've tended to do that myself is that I've made the default format when I'm sending things to a printer typically be a PDF uh, rather than trying to work out how on earth to paginate the HTML and set page orientation and all that. Whereas uh, I find that most people tend to have some sort of PDF viewer in place nowadays, and most of those PDF viewers auto do landscape, portrait, all that sort of thing. So as long as I send a page which is the right, has the right proportions, uh, it will automatically make it landscape and portrait and all those sort of things. Because um, one of the questions that does come up all the time is how do you deal with that um, if you're using the standard UI and the standard web interface? And there's no really good answer for a lot yeah. of those. You almost have to be doing some custom things uh, at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's one of the challenges as well. You know, orientation, like you mentioned, is one of those big areas. Yeah. Well, as I said, I, I find that uh, certainly generating report, the ones that have to go to a printer via a PDF ten, tends to work incredibly well the uh, because it just deals with all of that stuff automatically. But the beauty of the HTML one, of course, is that we can do drill-throughs and things like that. Well, and I see that done quite a bit, uh, either linking to reports or building reports in such a way that the user can expand a region uh, and, and, in effect, drill down to lower levels of detail. And yeah. uh, especially when I'm doing reports against analysis services, that's a really common thing to do with reporting services. Yeah. In fact, yeah, that's a really good point where you've got, uh, anything that even smells of pivot table is shaped things and stuff like that. Uh, you're going to be able to do something drastically more uh, flexible if you're doing that with a web layout. That's correct. Yeah. What about uh, Excel rendering? Because I know one of the things I've found, uh, my personal take on it is that I nearly find I have to write a report twice every time uh, because I find that 
when people want Excel, they just want the data. They, they don't, even though the team has gone to a great, uh, job of trying to make the Excel report look like the printed one. In fact, that's almost sad because in, invariably people actually don't want it formatted like that. That is correct. And I have done exactly the same thing where basically you, you do two reports, one that's nicely formatted for the screen, one that has no formatting at all. So it's just a big table with well. lots of columns that, yeah, all the data is thrown into. Yeah. That's right. I even <laughs> had a case recently where a customer wanted to dump everything to Excel for additional analysis, and it was automatically word-wrapping some rather long text fields that were in there, and that was messing up some formulas they had built in, and there was no way to turn it off. So you know that was yeah. a challenge, too. We actually ended up having to design the reports where those fields were just really wide on the screen. And, actually, uh, that's so. a really good point. And the other place that I've come across that as an issue is sometimes uh, a sort of a funkiness between sending numeric or currency or different values in and out of the Excel rendering, um, where I've ended up having to have, a, again, a different rendering uh, because Excel has, or the default Excel rendering has gone and interpreted the values in a different way. I uh, don't know if you've come across that. but I have, and I, like you, it's just, it's you, you know, making another report. And I don't know what the exact issue is, but sometimes, yes, numerics come out looking not quite like you expected. Uh, it yeah. doesn't honor all of the formatting that you've put into the report in, in some cases with numerics. Yeah, I think, uh, as I said, I've also seen it with currencies a bit, so I, I tend to end up having to sort of format the whole thing so that it uh, really gets treated as text at the other end so that it ends up looking right, but the problem is then it really is text, and that then causes a problem when I'm trying to do numeric operations on it in Excel. <laughs> so, well, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, that, and unfortunately, there's just not a lot of... There's not a good way to get into the middle of that because that was one of the things um, I've been looking to do occasionally is, okay, let me interpret what's going to Excel and let me modify it some on the way. And there's unfortunately, there's not a hook into that process that I'm aware yeah. of. So, One of the nice things I uh, noticed with 2008, which uh, hopefully will all get out the door, there seemed to be a much stronger set of Excel renderings coming, um, including ones that adjust the data, perhaps. But... Uh, but anyway, I mean, 2008, we'll talk about in the second half of the show. But uh, in terms of other current things, so what things have you seen uh, maybe uh, that would make good advice for the current uh, shipping version of reporting services? Well, I think that um, one of the things, you know, that we've been talking about is the, is the whole export to Excel. That would be great uh, to, to be able to do some additional pieces with that. Uh, in the current shipping version, of course, you also have the report builder piece, the, the kind of ad hoc piece that people, uh, so users can create their own reports. Uh, they don't have to call up someone in IT and use um, Development Studio to create the report. Um, and with the uh, the ad hoc reporting piece, it does some things for you automatically, out of the box. It will generate additional reports so you can just have all this drill through and they kind of call it infinite drill through and this ability to kind of, you know, it looks at the relationships and, and lets you jump around. Um, and it lets the 
the developers who build those models in the first place, you can do some queries and, and some what you know what reports look like for some of that, but it's not. You don't have full control over that, and uh, I've seen users end up tying themselves up in knots with that particular feature before. And if they're doing this against cubes, uh, that the performance sometimes just kind of goes out the window and never comes back. So, you know, this, those are things that are known, and they, they need to, to be worked on uh, in the product a little bit. Um, I'd like to see the API cleaned up a little bit, but again, at this point, I don't see any breaking changes coming, so I, I yeah. don't know exactly how much uh, they're going to be able to do on that. Um, in fact, even, even a, in addition to that, I found a few, I must admit, there's quite a few, I think, a fit and finish UI type things I find in the product. Uh, um, two good examples. One is um, when it pops up a dialogue that asks you for a list of parameters, um, what frustrates me endlessly is I enter the first uh, parameter. This is maybe while running in the designer. And I go to tab to the next cell, and tab takes me out of the entry box somewhere else <laughs> and, thing, and things like that. So to, to me, there are a few little fit and finish things that, uh, again, if I click on it, I have to click cell by cell with a mouse to get that to work right. And uh, I, I suspect that really isn't in how it's meant to be. But I think... The funniest thing I find in the designer is the whole little black dot thing up in the top left-hand uh, top area where if it's clicked, it's there, and you right-click it, you get a different set of options to if it's not. And I do find that confuses people. So. Oh, I I uh, wholeheartedly agree with you. And one of the things I've done in uh, when I'm teaching is, okay, now, you need to select the matrix control or the table control. Don't click in it because that selects the text box that you happen to <laughs> click in when you do it. So how do you select that? And then how do you select the whole report? And how, you know, exactly. And so, you know, I discuss how to do that in the properties window using the drop down box if you can't figure out where to click in the UI. But yeah, there's, they need some better guides on sometimes where to click to find the properties you're looking for. So. I think, I think uh, actually yeah. you mentioned tables. What's also disconcerting with some of that is that you click on it, it has a big outside border. But then when you right-click it, the outside border disappears, and suddenly you've got a thing that it looks like you're clicking in the middle of space. <laughs> and uh, that's the thing you're then choosing the options on, which, uh, again, I find people find that a bit disconcerting. So, Well, I have no doubt that... Um that you and I are not the only two who've noticed some of those little <laughs> UI inconsistencies. So I, you know, now whether whether those will be gone in the next version, uh, you know, there is a new report uh, uh, designer in, in in 2008, which you know we can talk about later. But uh, yeah. it uh, hopefully will be addressing some or all of those types of UI issues. I'm sure it will introduce a few of its own. But hey, that's that's yeah. any new product. So. Another another one I'd be interested in getting your guidance on. Uh, when I'm working on reports, my personal preference is that I tend to keep pretty much all the logic inside a proc in the database end, and I just use the reporting tool to kind of format what appears on the screen. I, I try and avoid embedding any actual logic uh, terribly much in the reports, but I, I don't know if you have a strong preference either way on that. Well, I have a very strong preference on that, and I absolutely agree with you. I like to keep as much in a stored procedure as possible, as much of the business logic. I mean, to a point, there are times when, uh, you know, I think that a uh, 
some some kind of business component makes more sense. But but with reporting, uh, I, I do put as much on the database engine as possible for a couple of reasons. You can reuse that; it's then consistent across multiple reports. You only have to change it one place uh, when there's a change. Uh, performance is another reason. Yeah. Uh, and and a third one is that you don't run into all those typing issues that you were discussing before in dealing with the API. So yeah, uh, actually that's a good I'm, point I'm, as well. Another reason I probably subconsciously do that is the fact that I've tended to generate two versions of every report: one one for Excel, one for um, printing and whatever. And again, having a proc there just completely simplifies that. Oh, absolutely. And and again, I know some people who who build everything as as uh, you know, they'll build a .NET component, uh, kind of a business layer that sits between any application and the data, and they'll actually do some calling of that through reporting service and so forth. And, yeah, you can do that, but it's not the easiest thing in the world. It's so much easier to call a stored procedure in the database. And uh, so I, I think that's a, uh, a a really good mechanism. We won't even get into the whole point of building .NET assemblies in the database and worrying about all that. <laughs> oh, actually, you're not going to get away with that because one of, one of the questions <laughs> I am going to ask is the, the whole thing of using the code window versus referencing an assembly. Now, what I have tended to do is I've tended for all my f- basic formatting functions and things, I've tended to actually use the code window, and simply because of deployment reasons. It's just brain-dead simple. It's in the report, and it runs with it. The downside of that, of course, is I then have a whole lot of spots where that would need to be modified if I want to change it. So right. uh, what's your feeling? Um, you know, for formatting in the report... I'm, I'm perfectly okay with the code window. Um, that's what it's for, in my opinion. Hey, let's do some real simple stuff in this report. It's nothing, there's no business logic in that. You're just formatting the report. I don't like to put anything beyond that, though, in the code window. Yeah. Um, if I start putting any kind of logic in there, gee, how do I debug it? How do I, you know, and, and it becomes a real issue there. Uh, and like you say, now you've kind of got code scattered in a lot of places, and so I... You know, I, I I like to use an assembly if there's any type of what I consider real business-type logic beyond just formatting of, of the report in some ways. In fact, that's something I should go and have a look on the Connect site because the, now talking to you about it, I'm, I'm just suddenly thinking I really wish there was a, a way to have a common code window across the reports without having to reference an assembly. So if there was a way I could just have a simple code window where I could put all my formatting functions and have that automatically appear in every report. Um, in fact, that would be kind of, kind of neat. <laughs> so. Well, see, and there's a product idea for you. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would have to think about that too. I don't know if there is a, a mechanism to do that. I'm, I'm sure it's... Uh, I'm sure it's possible, but how much effort is required, I don't know. Yeah, because in the end, what I'd love to achieve, of course, is keeping the code in one spot to modify yet completely avoid the deployment issues when it's a small amount of formatting functions. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that always is the challenge when referencing an assembly is now I have something else to deploy and get registered, and, you know, there's some additional challenges there. Actually, a lot of people I know haven't really tackled that. Have you got any or ideas or things for them or input on what you have to do to deploy an assembly? Um, beyond the standard uh, of deploying a middle tier in an application of you know having it on the server somewhere, 
deployed and you know callable. I don't have any uh, yeah. guidance beyond that. I've always the, the the cases where I've worked with calling assemblies, they're already in use by other applications anyway, yeah. and they're calling them as a way to retrieve data. Uh, that needed some kind of extra manipulation, so they couldn't just call the database directly. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. And so, um, other things you think are worth mentioning about the the current version that might be any tips for people? Or? Um, I have run into uh, situations a, a couple of times now where people are using this in production, and they say, "Okay, well, uh, gee, we need to scale this." Uh, because we have so much demand for it or we really need this uh, to be highly available because it's becoming critical for what we're doing and so forth. And uh, the uh, reporting services team put out a really good white paper on that. And for some reason, a lot of people just don't seem to know it exists. So it, it's a scalability and reliability paper for uh, for reporting services. And one of the, the real quick things to mention in that is they talk about they haven't even done official testing beyond a four-processor box. So this was really designed to run on commodity machines. You don't need a, a 64-way Superdome box to run a big reporting services installation. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it scales out very well, and then the, the challenge becomes, well, where am I going to put my catalog? And that usually becomes a centralized SQL Server machine talking to multiple reporting services boxes, basically in a web farm. And I've seen people, you know, a lot of people don't even know to read that book, so they put eight-way boxes or, you know, 16-way boxes. They put these big boxes when they'd be better out, uh, better off scaling out. And then when these people do scale out, they don't tune their SQL box that all these boxes are calling, and that becomes their bottleneck. So those are just some things to watch out for uh, with the current version uh, that I, I see customers doing periodically. Um, Without getting really too far into licensing, I suppose the the way you lay that out, though, with multiple machines and or different numbers of processes, all those things are going to have licensing implications as well. That's right. And, and, and a lot of times when I see customers doing this, they, they have an enterprise agreement of some sort, and, uh, you know, so they're, they're big users, um, and, and they have these really large installations. But, yeah, there definitely are some licensing issues with that. Yeah. In fact, I think that's one of the, the questions that's always come up is the whole idea of whether people should really be able to separate the reporting server out from the SQL server with a single license. Um, but, yeah. And, and I'm not even going to attempt to answer that. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. And, and I, you know, just because I don't, I, I don't sell licenses. I don't get involved in that that end, so I don't want to tell people, uh, you know, yeah. something that might not be correct. No, absolutely. Well, look, one I will ask you about that comes up uh, regularly is exposing reporting services to both anonymous users via an, via the internet and internal users via an intranet, and the security implications. Well, just uh, last week, actually, I was with a customer who is doing exactly that, uh, and it's a it's a rather challenging uh, piece of the puzzle. They have customers worldwide that are using this system, and they're outside their domain. So now, what do they do? Well, uh, the 
option that they went with is to build a custom security module, which you can certainly do, and it is documented. And in fact, on CodePlex, there is an example where basically uh, you use form-based authentication. Form authentication. So, yeah, and maybe for the data folk listening, they might not be totally across that. So forms authentication is where we roll our own authentication model. We basically somewhere store our own usernames and passwords and whatever against some provider, and the ASP.NET application is then basing its uh, security and authentication off, off that provider that we build. Yeah, I mean, basically, you have a web page. The person enters a user ID and password, and behind the scenes, there's a component that is reading that user ID and password from a database. Now, the password's stored in an encrypted format and those, those kinds of things. But um, it's interesting because in that scenario, you actually have to set this up to be anonymous as the user on the web. But once they're authenticated, um, their credentials are actually passed back and forth with each call. So inside a report, if you ask who is the user, it gets who they actually logged in as, not the anonymous user from integration or from uh, IIS. So um, that's that's not an uncommon thing to have to do, and it's nice because it gets you around having to add all those users into your domain as as actual domain users. Yeah. Um, now, unfortunately, is that officially supported? Well, it's documented, and there's a project on CodePlex that shows you how to do that, but whether it's supported or not is kind of a gray area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's possible it works, but you know, it's it's a little bit more challenging to say that, oh, yes, it, it is officially supported. Um, it does lead to some other challenges as well and, and maintaining that um, in a in an actual production scenario. But, um, yeah, I, I did just, like I said, I did just, in fact, see that working. Uh, and um, we, we looked at some challenges with it. Here's one challenge we saw. This would be a quick tip for anybody that has to do this. Um, once they switched it to using this mechanism, they couldn't deploy anymore. And so they would attempt to deploy from BI Dev Studio, you know, a new report or a new model, and it would just fail. I would give them a login prompt. They'd type in the user ID and password, and it would fail. Well, it needed a domain slash username. They didn't have a domain, so they weren't entering it. They were just typing the username and whatever. As soon as they put something in the domain, didn't matter what it was, anything, then it worked fine. So it just had to be in that domain slash username format, which was really bizarre. But once we figured that out, they were really happy. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is a little weird. <laughs> yeah, it was very strange. But I suppose but, one of the uh, questions that comes up, uh, one of the things I found that I had to do, uh, invariably, I did not have uh, Dev Studio or anything similar installed anywhere that I'm uh, deploying the reports in a production environment, and. It surprised me the number of people that end up putting it in or things like that to do rep- uh, report deployment. And uh, where I, what I've ended up doing for customers or end-user customers, I tended to always uh, build into my own application something that had the ability to upload new reports into the report server. Um, and in fact, using the web service calls and so on are actually very, very simple to do. Um, but have you got a, is there a best practice or something as to uh, or do you use command line tools? Or I, I, I presume you wouldn't normally have the Dev Studio in the actual production environment. No, it's it's exactly what you described. Um, it is simply calling the 
reporting services web service, which has some rather simple calls uh, in order to uh, to register a report so that it now becomes uh, available for everyone else. Uh, and so I, that that really is the best practice now how you where you get the report and how you actually get it up there. I mean, there are a variety of mechanisms for that, but then um, simply calling the web service is is the best practice. And a complement to that is a, a customer I know wanted to kick off scheduled reports on demand, and how did they do that? Well, there is a way, again, through those web services, there are commands to go ahead and say, you know, I know this thing is only scheduled to run at noon every Saturday, but go ahead and kick it off now. Yeah. There are right ways and wrong ways to do it. Through the web service is always the, the only supported way to do this. Yeah. In fact, I must admit, if I look at the product, um, it, the visual designer is the thing that uh, most of the developers see and are most impacted by. Yet, uh, and to me, if I look at the different parts of the product, it's the one... If you look at the quality bar, I would have rated it lower. Uh, ironically, the reporting engine and the web service interface and all those things, are, to me, feel uh, like they're at a higher bar than the visual designer. I think that had they initially released the product with a report designer that was not in Dev Studio, that was just a standalone, just report designer, that more report developers would have become familiar with the web service and the engine itself because you're right. That, to me, is an incredibly robust and mature piece of the product. Yeah. The uh, UI designer has some challenges like we talked about before. Well, where do I find these properties? Well, where do I have to click in the magic spot and so forth? But, uh, yeah, from a from a maturity standpoint and a, and a robustness, I think that the uh, the engine and the web service interface to it are incredibly well done. Do you find yourself needing to edit the RDL? It's pretty rare that I find I have to end up editing it. Um, there have been some occasions where, due to some very strange things with custom security, uh, basically we end up having to uh, edit the RDL by hand to embed some of the um, data source information. But yeah. that's that's not real common. Have you... Uh, have you oh look! The, the, the main, the main, the main time I've ended up doing it is where I'm trying to do uh, substantial changes to a report, and sadly, I actually find it much quicker to do it in there than than doing it in the designer. And I, I think it's um, the, people always joke about Visual Notepad, but um, uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful tool, Notepad. And uh, it's it's a bit like even back in the days of VB6. Uh, if I had to build a new program that was based that was similar in any way to an existing one, um, I would always copy the the VB file uh, to a new file, open it up in Notepad, do a whole lot of global changes, and do the basic stuff I need to do, then bring it into VB, and I'd have a a program that was nearly where I wanted to be. Um, <laughs> whereas if I started with the design tools, what I had to do was just so long-winded. Um, and I find that some of the table-type stuff that I'm trying to do in in reporting services, I find that by just copious amounts of uh, copying and pasting and uh, things like that, I can often achieve an, an enormous productivity gain over doing it in in uh, in the development 
tools. However, I've also pointed that out to the development guys, uh, the product group guys, and say, please make this stuff simpler. Um, it, it's a bit like, I think in Excel, uh, I really, really do like the idea I can enter January, February, grab the boxes, drag it down, and it fills in right through to December for me. Um, it, it's those sorts of things where I've got... Uh, Things where I think it could easily imply <laughs> what I want, Excel style, um, as I'm laying things out. I, I really wish it had a whole lot of those sort of features. Well, and I think part of that is the... Autofill is the word I'm looking for, yeah. Well, well, sure, and I think part of that is we got back to the, the thing that as you know, we talk about it, by and large, being mature and, and robust and so forth, but we're really only on basically the second version of the product. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's some of the growth areas that it has to do. As far as adding the RDL, you reminded me that uh, I've actually had several cases where some of my colleagues have said, I need to do X, Y, Z. I never could figure out how to do it through the UI, but I hacked the RDL so that it worked. Now, can somebody yep. show me how I should have done this through the UI? So <laughs> yes. That actually uh, is, is not terribly uncommon to have to do that. So. Yeah, I know in the first version, one of the first things I ever saw was uh, Adam showing me, Adam Cogan showing me how he was editing the RDL because there was a way to put, for example, a page break in a certain spot that worked perfectly, but there just didn't seem to be any way in the UI to do it, so... Um, so I, th I think, yeah, the RDL is a, is a richer language than necessarily what's exposed. Well, and I think not only is, is RDL rich and, and maybe not always fully exposed, but, you know, just in what you see, for example, printing or, or exporting, you know, all that is extensible and there, you know, you can go and write some .NET code to, oh, now I have the ability to send straight to a printer or I can export to some you know, bizarre format that is specific to that business or industry or what have you. So, you know, I think that the richness is there. They've given you all the hooks. It's just figuring out what you have to do. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to sit there and uh, tell you the uh, every tag in RDL. You know, it's 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 pretty big. So <laughs> there's a, a lot of richness. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, listen, that's probably a good point, Craig, to we'll take a break, and when we come back from the break, we'll talk about what we're expecting in 2008. All right. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. Welcome back from the break. So again, as I get everyone to do, Craig, uh, is there a life outside SQL Server? I don't know, is there? Uh, yes, actually, I, I do. Uh, I'm married and have uh, one daughter and three dogs, uh, one of which is sitting in my lap as we speak because uh, I've had him a year now and I've never heard him bark, so I figured he'd be safe for this. Uh, and in my, in my spare time, I like to do some photography uh, as well as reading, of course, and uh, yeah. 
some outdoor stuff occasionally. And that's about it. That's yeah, that's good. And r- roughly, where are you based? I actually live in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Which, for those not in the U.S., it's uh, considered Midwest, but it's not really. It's uh, it's I'm still the Eastern Time Zone, just like New York or uh, Florida or whatever. But I'm not near an ocean. Uh, people people around the world the the most uh, common thing I can say is that it's the city Muhammad Ali is from, and everyone seems to know uh-huh, who he that's is. it. Every, everybody knows of Muhammad Ali. It, it's funny you mention that uh, not being near an ocean too. It, it's it, it's something where, because I've always grown up living in cities that are near oceans, and uh, it, it's something you take so much for granted, and you never think of it as a as a a differentiator, but I must admit, some of the I used to travel a lot within Queensland in, in absolutely the middle of nowhere, and I mean really the middle of nowhere. And what always amazed me it was talking to people, and you'd mention something like uh, what would happen at a beach or the ocean or something, and they'd just sit there looking really, really fascinated, and and I could never work it out. I, I had a a guy I grew up with uh, next door to me, and he moved to uh, Claremont, which is it's a, it's a long way from anywhere. And uh, the, the girl that he married, she was sitting there. And what struck me uh, when I was talking to her that week is that she'd seen the ocean once in her life. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it's something you can, can really uh, take for granted when you, when you live in areas uh, nearby to oceans. Yeah, if I hop in the car, I can be at the ocean in about 12 or 13 hours. That's as quickly yeah. as I can get to one. So. Wow. Well, she could have been there in six or seven. So yeah, it's, <laughs> so you're actually uh, further than she was. But that's yeah, great. The um, in fact, one of the things that uh, the town that uh, in Claremont that uh, they were quite famous for, they, they've had a number of gold mines there over the years. And uh, they were telling one of the amazing stories they were telling me uh, a little while ago um, when I was there. They were saying the biggest piece of gold that had ever been found in the town was found by a school child uh, who. who parent was up talking to the teacher after school uh, and uh, the, the kid were out, was out sort of running around in the, uh, the schoolyard area and came back with this huge piece of gold <laughs> and, and that started a new little gold rush <laughs> in the town that uh, actually I could drive down the road about half an hour and I'm at Fort Knox which you may have heard of oh, yes. where the US <laughs> stores a lot of their gold but uh, they don't let you go in and take any I haven't figured that out yet that's amazing. Well, listen, anyway, so uh, with SQL Server 2008 uh, coming, well, now quarter three this year uh, as the current intent, what do we see differently for reporting services? Well, there are a number of differences, and I think one that for some reason gets one of the biggest uh, responses uh, is that uh, reporting services 2008 is no longer dependent upon Internet information services. Yeah. So... IIS is uh, not required to run it anymore. It uh, it works off of uh, it can work off basically ASP.NET in the framework, um, or it can just use HTTP.sys, kind of like SQL does for you know native HTTP access today. So yeah. that actually has a lot of people excited. Um, I have known a number of companies that don't want to put reporting services into practice because or into production because they will not put IIS on one of their SQL boxes, and they look at it as that's what they're having to do, and so that that, that bothers them for whatever reason. So we probably that's should one of the biggest differences. 
should briefly mention to the HTTP sys that you mentioned. Uh, this is from um, the last couple of versions of IIS. They had taken the product and they've broken it into two parts where it used to be all the one thing and they separated out the HTTP sys driver at the kernel level. And so IIS became something now that is just one client of the HTTP sys driver and SQL Server is another. And, uh, and reporting services, of course, can talk directly to that. Now, one of the things about that is that all of the things that you might configure with a virtual directory or things like that in IIS, of course, then you need to somehow configure in SQL Server. Well, that, that's correct. And, and that's, you know, the, the, uh, the additional work now has just been moved uh, in, into when you're setting up reporting services and, and you have to do some configuration through there. Of course, they have a configuration tool. It's changed dramatically because it has to support some of these new uh, capabilities. Actually, that's worth mentioning that, again, in 2005, uh, it, it's worth mentioning that there is a configuration tool that you can run that, that gives you little ticks and indicates what the health is of the configuration of the system. Uh, and I find an awful lot of people don't, seem to know about that and or run it, but it's a, it's a very, very important little tool. Um, and one of the things that, that uh, we could have mentioned there as a tip is also the whole thing about encrypted content and backup of that and keys. That, that's right. When, when you first install reporting services, regardless of what version, but let's just assume 2005 for now, it does run through and there, there's a configuration step and you, you can set some directories and so forth. And one of the things that Microsoft recommends, of course, is using um, secure SSL or, or you know, HTTPS, however you want to look at it, but basically in, encrypting the content as it flows because this could be financial data. It, you know, it could obviously be uh, very uh, mission critical or um, proprietary information. So they do recommend... Uh, using secure socket layer or, you know, a, an equivalent encryption technology. So what happens is there, it generates a key and there is a process to back this key up and store it safely. Um, I've actually seen people lose that key and there's really yes. not anything you can do at that point. Uh, it's no interesting, yeah, because one of, one of the install steps, uh, it says you really should back those keys up. But uh, again, it is something I've seen people miss regularly. Yeah, yeah, that that's not uncommon, unfortunately. And you you know, you mentioned the configuration tool and say a lot of people don't even know about it. Well, of course, it's done by whoever's installing it, and then uh, you know, uh, some people never have to go in and modify things uh, and and change it, so they don't even know the tool exists. But um, one of the things it can do is switch a uh, reporting services instance between kind of normal or native mode and working with. SharePoint. So what do you do when you have a server that's running SharePoint, which wants to take over port 80 and kind of be the default application, you know, and you just try to type in the server name slash reports and suddenly it doesn't play nicely anymore. Well, you can put it in a SharePoint mode so they get along and, and play well in the same sandbox. Yeah. No, that, that's good. And so, yeah, so the tool's there now. And so the, the change, the big change really is the, the move to uh, being independent of IS and going straight to the driver. Now, do you tend to find that people, when they were using IS for reporting services, ever changed the configuration of standard virtual directories and things like that, uh, or the ones that it sets up? I didn't see it terribly often because most of the time this was an internal application. So 
if people were authenticated on the network, they were fine and it knew who they were um, because it used integrated security and, and therefore they could set up all the security that they needed. In some cases, we talked about earlier the authentication of external parties. You had to go in and switch that to use anonymous authentication in IIS and make some changes there. Occasionally, I've seen people go in and mess with the application pools in IIS, but again, that's not real common uh, to have to do. So, um, you know, from, from that standpoint, there were some changes I saw in IIS sometimes, but it wasn't terribly common. Yeah, that's good. Now, if we look at going forward then, do you think... Uh that's going to provide any upgrade challenges. Um, that this sort of because when I look at everything else in the product upgrade wise, it doesn't seem like a, a big deal really, or all that complicated. I am sort of wondering about this move from where you've currently got IAS to not having it. Yeah, I think for most people that will not make uh, a huge difference. Uh, again, for people who are kind of using it right out of the box today. Uh, my client last week, though, they're using this their, their custom security scheme that they've written, and they're using Anonymous, and they said, okay, well, is 2008 going to change any of this for us? Well, the answer is yes, it probably is. It may be for the better, but there's a whole new way of handling authentication. Before, IIS was handling that for them. Now, IIS isn't in the picture anymore, or it doesn't have to be. So, um, basically... There's a new uh, authentication subsystem in reporting services itself. So yeah. that's going to require some changes to what they're doing. And um, so I think that's going to be a very interesting upgrade path for them. I've seen some people uh, who are concerned, in fact, about using integrated security with reporting services. And the argument is that they're actually almost a bit concerned about the concept of a Trojan report. Uh, because, again, this is code that you are executing on a SQL box using your your identity. Uh, have you ever seen any sort of concerns in that area? Uh, I haven't, but now that you mentioned it, I can see, I suppose, why someone might be concerned about that. Um, you know, when you consider that you're calling the... Uh, the web service and it has the ability to add reports, remove reports, basically do uh, anything you can do. I mean, it, it, you know, everything you do when you deploy or whatever, it's just calling the web service, and I can see why that uh, might cause some concerns. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And so again, like any other thing, I mean, if you received a report from somewhere else, it isn't just a case of uploading it and running it, because <laughs> again, if you're using integrated security, that that's happening in in your context. So. You'd, again, need to be, like you would with anything else, uh, sure of where it came from. That's true. Yeah. The uh, other things with 2008? Well, um, one, of the, um, one of the big changes that's coming with 2008 uh, as well is the inclusion of the uh, some of the Dundas controls. And for... People who aren't too familiar with that, it's, uh, Dundas is a third party, but some of the controls have been licensed to work. So now you have much richer controls as far as the, the, some charting capabilities, um, the use of some controls such as dials and um, you know possibly thermometers and so forth, and you, you get a much richer experience. So there are a lot of people who are very excited about the inclusion of those extra controls 
Um, you can just go right on a report. They'll render fine in a, in a thin client browser, uh, but it gives you a much richer look and feel to the application. Yeah. Um, in fact, yeah, I've a seen lot a number of, of those, and they, they really do look quite impressive, a lot of those. Well, they look impressive, and, um, you know, from anyone who has done uh, any kind of uh, uh, ASP.NET apps, and use those controls. They're they're very rich and very easy to work with, uh, incredibly powerful. So I, a lot of people are very excited uh, about that possibility. Yeah, one in particular I love the look of. I must admit there was the kind of split axis uh, axis type things in some of the uh, the graphing things. I thought that looked quite impressive. Well, yeah, you you get all kinds of 3D charting and and it, it's it's very rich in what it's going to provide. Now, not all the Dundas pieces will be in there, um, but uh, Dundas charts and, and um, I think one uh, uh, a number of their, their controls are, are in, um, so that's that's uh, of great interest. Uh, unfortunately, I've heard uh, both yes and no to whether the Dundas mapping piece will be in, so I, I don't know yeah. which is right. I've, I've heard both from reliable sources, so there, there you have it. But, yeah. Um, Indeed. One of the others I thought I heard kicked around was something to do with the calendaring ones or something as well. But uh, yeah, and that's that, that's another one that I've heard yes and no to, and I so I don't know what the answer is. We'll have to see. Uh, unfortunately, um, you know, early in product cycles, sometimes more gets promised than eventually makes it. So yeah. we'll have to see. Well, speaking of that, uh, word rendering is another topic. Uh, word so- rendering. Yes, rendering in um, rich text formats or Microsoft Word format. I, I get the impression that was uh, one of the number one requests in the previous version of the product is that we didn't have an output to Microsoft Word. Well, you just have to ask me, don't you? I don't know the <laughs> answer to that. But, well, what uh, I heard is that they the, they had purchased a product, uh, but... Basically, it did Word 2003, <laughs> and so the the discussion was whether or not it was okay to release it without 2007, and they they kind of thought, well, yeah, that mightn't be a great idea. And then, of course, the argument was with whether the work could get done or not in time. But the good news there is that uh, I watched the SQL Jumpstart sessions from Redmond yesterday, and Word 2007 rendering was one of the features listed uh, on the Jumpstart things as recently as yesterday. Oh, that's good. I had not heard that specifically. I I hate to admit that uh, oh, several years ago I did uh, do something with uh, re- with the reporting services where I would dump data out to a to an HTML file and save that file on the server and then simply change the extension to .doc and then send it to the client browser, which would then fire up Word on their machine in a nicely formatted way. And they thought I was brilliant because I was somehow able to export the Word. When, you know. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that there is actually going to be a real export to Word. Um, so I, I didn't know where that stood, but that's, yeah. that's good. No, well, uh, up until a few weeks ago, I kept hearing it was still a bit... Uh Dubious. I mean, it was certainly listed in the early features as hopefully would be there, and then I was hearing it was kind of on the on the brink either way. But as I said, the sessions yesterday most definitely still had it listed, and interestingly, they they definitely said Word 2007 in the, in the uh, slides that came up yesterday. So we we, we can only wait and see. Uh, I would well, love speak- to think that'll be there. 
Well, I, I hope so as well. And, and you know, speaking of, of Office 2007, one of the changes that's coming in 2008 as well is there is a brand new report designer, and it's standalone. So that is a, a big change. I don't have to fire up Visual Studio anymore, and the report designer now has a ribbon, so it looks just like the Office 2007. Well, not just like, but very similar to the Office 2007 uh, applications. And, uh, in fact, I got feedback from a colleague uh, just uh, a day or two ago that uh, he's using Reporting Services 2008 on a project, and he said, I really like this new report designer. It has some uh, some nice enhancements to it over what we're so used what, to. So what level of person yeah. do you think that's targeted at? Well, it's, that's still aimed at the developers, uh, just like the report designer in, in uh, BI Dev Studio today. Um, so it's basically, you know, I still have to create my data sources and build my queries and those kinds of things and then put the report together. Uh, but it is, it, it is the ability to break it out of uh, Visual Studio is, is you can still do them there, but it, it's just a standalone tool that hopefully is going to give us a little bit more power and start marching us towards, you know, some of the things you were talking about. Gee, I wish it would do things for me more often when <laughs> it should be able yeah. to interpret what I'm trying to do yeah. uh, and make it more flexible uh, to work with. So there is this whole new designer that's available for the developers. You still are going to have the ad hoc piece, the the report builder, as they call it, for end users. Yeah. So this is very much a design, yeah, a designer thing instead. Interesting. So the uh, uh, do you think that just expresses some frustration, perhaps, with what they're able to do within the existing shell? I, I think so. I mean, when you look at it, you know, Visual Studio is is great for writing code, and you can certainly do all your form design, be they web forms or Windows forms or what have you. And so they use that same metaphor for dragging and dropping and building reports. And yet, reports are still just a little bit different. You know, they they uh, they have data sources, and you have to be able to generate your queries for them. And and okay, well, let's preview this and see what it looks like. Well, then it has to spin up a little web browser instance, kind of like ASP.NET, but it's still, you know, it's not as code-based if you're not getting in and dealing with the RDL on a regular basis. So it's it's just a slightly different mentality. And, um, you know, you took somebody who might be really good at one of the existing reporting tools, but they didn't consider themselves developers. You know, they, they, they may have been really good building reports or something, and now you throw them in Visual Studio. And that was a, a frightening thing for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, hey, I'm, I'm just a reporting guy. What What is this all about? Uh, you know, <laughs> why do I see yeah, it's sort of interesting because, the file? Yeah, the approach for everything else at the moment still is more and more into the Visual Studio shell. So it's kind of interesting to see that uh, moving out of there a bit. So you sort of wonder direction-wise where that sits. So. Yeah, I, and I, I don't know, I, I can't say definitely why that is, um, but uh, but that that is the direction they've gone at least with 2008. Yeah. And um, right now in the CTPs, this will, I, I assume this is going to change, but I, I, I don't know exactly exactly when or how. But um, for example, there is a new control that will kind of be uh, the probably the primary control people use called the tablets yeah. in 
In fact, that raises a very important yeah change in 2008. So the the tablets. Right. Well, it, it, yeah. I mean, today you have the table, the matrix, and the list controls. Those are three different controls for basically repeated data. And so the tablets merges those three together. You you can kind of get the features that you had with those three separate ones now in one control. And I think that's important for for a couple of reasons, but one in particular is I've used the matrix control more than the table control because I'm usually dealing with data and analysis services. But, of course, I, I deal with both. But there were features of the of the matrix control that when I was using the table I missed, and then I would go back to the matrix and be like, oh, you know, that feature over the table control is kind of nice, and I can't do that exactly here yeah. the same way. So it's nice to have one merge control where hopefully you'll get everything you want uh, regardless of how you decide to lay it out. And to avoid scaring people, of course, the thing is that the table and the matrix are both still in the toolbox, but I notice when you yeah. pull them out, it it actually puts the tablets on the, on the form, but it configures it uh, like a table if you pull the table out and like a matrix if you pull the matrix out. Yeah, that's right. It's really the same control. It, it's just how it's rendered um, uh, when when the developer is working with it and then when the end user sees it. Yeah. Now, another thing I've seen uh, a fair bit of discussion around is the scalability changes in reporting services for 2008, uh, where they seem to have rewritten a lot of the engine so that you really can generate that 20,000-page PDF if you want to. That's right. They have um, done several things in that arena. One is um, uh, you have a lot more uh, memory management uh, exposed that you can tune in order to uh, do those things. So you can set a maximum limit uh, on the memory just uh, overall. You can set... Um, interim thresholds, and, and then you can say, okay, how is it going to respond as it hits these different thresholds? What do you do? Do you, you know, do you uh, allow fewer threads when memory starts getting compressed, you know, or, or, or getting tight? What do you do in those scenarios? So they have done uh, a lot with trying to uh, tune it that way. I, what I don't know yet in this particular version, maybe you've seen this, I don't know if you can tie it to just certain processors or cores, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, as you can with SQL. Yeah. Uh, I know what I was noting more is a, I noticed that they, um, if they start to run shy of memory now, they simply spool it out off onto disk, uh, which uh, they didn't sort of do in the previous version, and uh, gigantic PDFs and things, I mean, you could start to run out of memory. Well, and that's that's important also because, you know, not just a particularly a giant PDF, but I had uh, a customer that would run through three to 4,000 reports in a batch, by the equivalent of a batch process. It was all done through scheduling, but they would kick off these three to 4,000 reports over the weekend, and it was all for email delivery, but they would actually save them as files and, and so forth. And um, it was a constant struggle to not run too many of those at once, or suddenly the server would just kind of stop for some reason. <laughs> and uh, that became a problem for them. So, yes, those, those, uh, the spooling to disk and the, the memory configuration issues are, are certainly uh, an, an important improvement coming in 2008. In fact, I think even though it's not a specific reporting services improvement, uh, the introduction of the resource governor, I think, will have a 
fairly profound effect in the reporting area as well, uh, in that well, be able to put priorities on reporting workloads. Well, I think that is a, a, a key thing to point out because, two, um, when you are processing reports and so forth, there there are some uh, uh, there's some caching that occurs. And, you know, some of that stuff is done in SQL, and so there are some potential issues there as well. And, and being able to restrict how much usage uh, reporting services is getting, plus, well, not just the caching and such, but even just pulling up the reports, reading the catalogs and so forth, all that, are those are reads against SQL servers. Yeah. So, um, you know, the ability to to lessen the impact of uh, reporting services when needed is, is an important feature. Yeah. That's good. So anything else uh, for 2008 that you know of at this point? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, there are uh, definitely some uh, additional features as well. I mean, there's a new logging mechanism that's available that, that lets you do logging basically from end to end as soon as the request comes in, what does it send to the, to the database, what comes back, how long does it take. And so you can, you can get some very uh, robust logging from uh, that standpoint. Yeah, and um, you know there are uh, back in that uh, the new report designer uh, that's there. There are just a lot of new features, uh, a new set of tabs, so it it doesn't work kind of the way you're used to today. There's actually things like an insert tab and a view tab. So if you need to insert a new data region or if you need to uh, insert a sub report, you go to the insert tab. And there's a home tab, which is where you change properties and fonts and those those kinds of things. So it's just a very different look and feel to it as well. So, um, you know, there and there are a number of other changes coming, uh, you know, some which are engine things underneath the covers that most people won't see. Yeah. Um, I noticed but, there uh, were, there seemed to be a lot of work on uh, things to do with soft versus hard pagination. And uh, there certainly seemed to be some work in and around that. Um, where I did see that described fairly well, uh, I should mention that up on the Connect site, uh, there is a, a live meeting recording there with the reporting service. I think it's just called uh, Enterprise Reporting with 2008 or something like that. Uh, and there is quite a bit of discussion there about the changes to the rendering engine and, uh, as I said, things like soft versus hard pagination in different types of reporting. Well, pagination for some reason has has been problematic uh, in 2005 for a lot of people. Um, you know, they'll work really hard to get the pagination working great. They uh, deploy it to a different server, and suddenly all the pagination changes. And you know, yeah. just little things like that that become uh, a challenge. And, yeah. Uh, exporting to to be in a PDF or Excel or whatever pagination can cause problems there. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's one area that, that has needed a lot of work. You have things like page sections and pages and page breaks, and those are all uh, elements that you can use in R. Well, they're, they're, they're elements in RDL, but there are um, UI uh, rep- uh, representations of those as well that you can work with. So, Actually, and, one uh, that I haven't tried much yet uh, that I'm wondering if there's any difference is more to do with the preview versus print preview. Do you know if there's anything there? Um, with the um, the preview, just in the report, preview. in the normal designer. 
Uh, as far as I know, um, you, you have the ability to, to simply you know, throw up a quick preview of how it's going to be on the web. Yep. Um, and then from the designer, I think you're going to be able to do a file and print preview of what you see, but I don't, don't hold me to that. I'm, yeah. I think that's uh, something I find that's going it, to be there. I find in the current designer, the preview often looks, uh, shall we say, not a lot like what the report <laughs> is going to end up looking like. And when I use the print preview, it often uh, is a, is quite a lot closer to to what the thing will actually end up looking like. Um, it, it's probably not as convenient to use all the time as the as the normal preview. But uh, I must have been for anything that's kind of uh, a little odd, perhaps in what you're trying to render. I, I must admit, I find it it does a much more accurate rendering than than what you get in the preview window. Well, and and one of the challenges with the preview window, I think, is just that it's running a lower level of HTML parser, basically, than, than, yeah. than modern browsers do. And so uh, I have seen cases where I got something that looks perfect in the preview window, and then I publish it, and suddenly, oh, gee, these lines overlap. This doesn't look right. It just it doesn't lay it out exactly the same. So Yeah. In yeah, fact, there, one of the areas... Yeah, one area that I had quite a lot of frustration in, I must admit, was multi-column reports. Um, just again, the the preview looked, uh, shall we say, nothing <laughs> like uh, what the, the report ended up. And uh, I found trying to get it to uh, render it all properly was was a significant challenge. Uh, um, but uh, I, I did put a connect item up, and I said, "Hey, uh, the the preview for these multi-column things looks." Um, not not what I'd hoped for, and uh, I got a. Uh, they closed it and said by design, and I thought, okay, <laughs> you know, that's not really what I was hoping for. So, by design, well, that's that's uh, that's always a, a great answer, I guess. <laughs> that's good. So, look, let's bring us pretty much to time, Craig. Uh, the I suppose the other question we have is, is there anywhere we're going to, well, you've got the book out, uh, we mentioned earlier. Is there anywhere else we're going to see you in upcoming times? Uh, well, <laughs> I, uh, I am giving a, um, a pre-conference at TechEd, of course, here in the U.S., but uh, I'll be talking about uh, giving a, a day session on just the whole spectrum of Microsoft's BI offerings Um and uh, I, I focus a lot of that time on how do you then, you know, look, okay, you build a warehouse. How do you then deliver the value to the organization? And that's one reason I spend so much time with reporting services, with Performance Point Server, is, you know, which is what the book is about. Um, and so I have some articles coming out in SQL Server Magazine about that um, uh, and uh, working on uh, on the some white papers at the moment and, of course, the book. And uh, I'll be speaking for a couple of uh, SQL groups. And, you know, I've never been to uh, Australia, so if you um, if you ever have the need, you know, just call me. I'll, I'll, I'll come right, <laughs> right over. I, I hear that a lot, actually, from people. The, uh, what, what I often suggest is that if, any, if they're ever looking at uh, a good time to take a holiday in Australia, I would say, look, October is uh, the perfect time because... Uh, uh, the, the weather's fabulous, and we have the SQL Down Under Code Camp uh, that runs in Wagga, uh, Wagga Wagga, in uh, October, and we have a whole weekend of uh, SQL people and just in, encourage people that that's a really good time to come and visit. And, uh, in fact, Kevin Klein did that last year, and it was absolutely great. He was out. 
October. I'll have to mark that down. <laughs> there you go. This is an official invitation, I take. Oh, means you're paying for the airline ticket. So <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, look, uh, so we'll say thanks very much for your time today, Craig. Uh, it's been most interesting to catch up with where things are at with reporting services. Well, I appreciate the time to talk with you. Thank you.